Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Lay Film Podcast, where we review gems of the cinematic industry. I'm one of your co-hosts, Tyler T. Stakes Cunningham. And with me today is my fellow confidants. Kevin. Patrick. Richie. So today we are reviewing Jackie, about Jackie Kennedy, by uh, directed by Pablo Lorraine. Uh, a really, really uh, good film. This one actually surprised me a lot and grew on me. Uh, but yeah, what do you guys think? Yeah, Pat, um, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on it because uh, this was your pick for the week. So... I am all ears. Well, if you guys know me, and there's only one thing really about me, is I'm not one to be a conspiracy theorist at all. Not at all. Not a tiny bit. But uh, I forgot. there. I always had a fascination with history. Uh, I was never like a history major or anything, but I remember like uh, learning about the Kennedy stuff and the... Cuban Missile Crisis, and even like our recent history, and like now that I'm no longer a kid, you can look back on stuff and certain wars, especially ones that have ended recently. And it's a uh, you have a new perspective that you didn't have back then. And uh, for me, the JFK era is a fascination of mine, especially with this film because it's set. It feels like a culmination of thoughts or beliefs I've felt. And I'm going to do a long tangent rant or over-explainer. But I think this is a very poignant film to have come out in 2016. And it embodies a lot of the uh, mental hurdles and uh, trauma we as a culture continue with. Like the fascination with the the fascination with the American exceptionalism, the fascination even subconsciously with the 50s and 60s era, the hegemonic growth of the U.S. going forward from post-World War II, and how that structures our lives now that we've just grown up in. And this film is like, to me, it's a film about a character not often highlighted, was treated poorly after her husband was murdered, and... uh the murdering of her husband was like the uh, nail in the coffin on the American experience. And that has resonated throughout to our lives and the present day. And it's just a little, like a bit of fate or like the stars aligning that this film would be made and then released the year Trump was elected. And I don't want to regress to like Trump bad stuff, but it's a very poignant message. I feel or like just a crossing of fate that this film about the gold, this film that kind of glorifies, but as tongue in cheekly referencing the end of it all coming out when there's the, uh, the complete regression of the structures we hold those people to like the Kennedys compared to the Trumps or the, whatever politician following him is completely different. I just, I feel like there's a collective psychological aspect to this film that just resonates with me and I want to, I, I love to analyze it from the conspiracy angle, from just the appreciation angle or just the, uh, how art can do itself with like a metaphysical meaning. 
feels like this film had to come out this year or 2016 or had to come out now when we feel aimless and we look back on the past with such rose tinted glasses and I'm going to stop now. That, uh, no, that, that is crazy. Actually. I didn't even think about that, that this came out when Trump was elected. Yeah. I, I think he, I'm not sure if he won. I don't remember how it happened. Even looking at the, even looking at the poster now, it's like the all red and stuff. I feel like even, I don't know. Kind of reminds me of that too. But yeah, that's, you make a lot of good points with that. Mm -hmm. I for sure agree with that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. um, I, I first watched this movie last year, probably, I want to say in January when I like first started doing like a movie challenge where you watch like one a day. And I think at the time, I feel like I didn't give it my complete undivided attention because after watching it the second time around, I have a complete newfound respect for it. And so much of the emotional beats really impacted me on a whole other level during this uh, viewing of it for me. And it kind of reminds me of listening to an album, like an, an, an album all the way through and having it not really resonate with me all that much. But then for some reason, a few months later or a year goes by and then I revisit the album and it ends up becoming like one of my favorite go-tos from there onward. And I feel like this movie is kind of like that for me because I remember during a period of time, the biopics were becoming like a huge, like they were becoming more and more prominent. I want to say towards the end or towards the beginning of the 2010s. And I think that by the mid 2010s, I feel like I kind of became jaded with them because I saw them as uh, Oscar grabs because it's almost like um, pushing for this this surefire way of uh, getting the Academy's attention and glorifying America's horrible, horrible past and just making like stale art from it. Whereas I don't feel that way with this movie whatsoever. Um, I viewed it as a completely subjective experience of Jackie during this terrible week in her life. And even seeing all of the historical events that surrounded her, it all felt like they were all on the back burner. And it felt so claustrophobic at times viewing this and getting so wrapped up in the experience with her. And even as a viewer, it feels gross to watch this at some points because it feels like it's just so indulgent and, you know, getting wrapped up in someone else's turmoil. Because grief is such a personal experience. And this was a proper depiction of grief playing out on screen 
And I believe that I, I also agree with what Pat was saying in terms of how it encapsulates the death of a certain era in American history where, I mean, in the movie, Camelot is referenced a lot and towards the end of it, it just had me thinking what could have been had a lot of the civil right civil rights leader at the times, like, uh, for instance, um, like we were talking about a, a bit beforehand with uh, Martin Luther King and Pat, you mentioned Malcolm X as well. Mm. And even Bobby Kennedy and so many people who were at the forefront of the civil rights movement at that time were all assassinated. And this is all within like the span of like a decade, right? Um, this is, that's US only. Like in Latin America, their heads were rolling. Oh, yes. In certain parts of Europe. Yeah, I can only imagine the, the death toll on all that. And it really made me sad and a bit lost at, after watching this movie again because it made me realize that, you know, there's like one line. Well, I, I'll, I'll save that bit for like towards when we get into the spoilers, but it made me feel like there will always be like whoever is in control of history, they're the ones in, in power and they can rewrite it all they want and snuff out any sort of uh, figure movement event from history. I mean, just look at like China with Tiananmen Square. Like if even if you mention it, you get abducted pretty much and get silenced and censored and possibly even wiped out from existence because of it. And now like there's a whole thing going on in Texas where they're pretty much recreating like a Salem witch hunt, but with abortion. And they're, you know, I'm not sure if, how much you all are following this, but um, they have like a hotline where... Mm you can report anyone you might suspect of uh, as having received an abortion and then Holy like shit. They, they get all sorts of repercussions from this and it's and they have like a 6 week deadline to get an abortion or but it's like at the 6 week mark you're only 2 weeks like that's when most women realize that they're like 2 weeks late on their period and by that time you know, you go out and get a pregnancy test, even if it's like a day over or whatever, it's like you've already missed your window. So it's like there's like a full on war being waged against women still. And it's like really disheartening. And to see or, you know, after watching this movie, it just made me think about like how so many civil rights are constantly getting quelled and squashed beneath the elite who want to remain in power and it's like very I don't know it's it made me feel very claustrophobic in my own life um in terms of you know wanting you know just uh harmony with humankind you know and civilization and like there's there's like one moment in the movie where Jackie's like not even given like five minutes to grieve afterwards and then you just see like Lyndon Johnson like getting sworn in like right off the bat yeah. and like wow this is literally history 
Um, even if like we're just watching a movie, like a recreation of it, but I have no doubt in my mind that this is just how things work in terms of a like government and um, people who uh, do have those larger roles of power and responsibility. And it's very disturbing to see how fragile um, one's one's dominion over uh, the position they hold, like just seeing how fragile it is and how it could collapse at any second and fall to someone else who maybe doesn't have the best interests of uh, the people that they're governing at heart. And yeah, that that's my two cents on it so far. I'm glad you brought up Texas because they are on one historically mm-hmm. <laughs> first Dallas yeah. and Kennedy and now this new bullshit I'm ready to what was it annex them from themselves if that's yeah. an <laughs> give them back to Mexico <laughs> no no we just annex the state of Texas and reintegrate it again because uh, something yeah. went wrong oh they I get what Kennedy. you're saying yeah they killed Kennedy <laughs> they gave us the Bush the senior Bush senior and uh, then the winter <laughs> thing happened, and now this new stuff. Yeah, it, Wait, and also with the mask mandate, just repealing everything in regards to that with the pandemic. And, uh, and Wait, sorry, I feel like I'm cutting people off. Uh, I, I just wanted to hop on that, and then you referenced the, uh, the scene of her, I believe it's in the plane with LBJ being sworn in. Yep. And that's uh, what I love, that Pablo Lorraine, director? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chilean-born director Pablo Verne. Uh, what I love is that he integrates a lot. There's some real footage even too, but he inter- he recreates historical moments, like the photo of Jackie in the pink overcoat still next to LBJ getting sworn in on the plane and like blood splatters in her lap. Like that's, there's like a black and white photo of that, I believe. Like that is straight up how it happened. He's re- he recreates mul- Yeah, he recreates multiple scenes within the film with Portman in the place of the real Jackie. Yeah. Like during the whole white house tour, the infamous, um, section. Mm-hmm. Dude, mm-hmm. Natalie Portman. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Pat. That's sorry. It was like a delay. On my <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, yeah. Natalie Portman really surprised me too. She definitely, I feel like this is like the, the best acting I've seen her from her. I haven't seen uh, Black Swan, though, so I can't. I know that's, like, looked at as one of her best films, too. It's funny you say that, because when I was watching the movie, that was exactly my thoughts, was that this is probably the best acting I've ever seen from Natalie Portman. And even then, she was really great in Black Swan. Um, And that was probably, like, what, seven years before she did Jackie? I don't recall when it came out. But, um, yeah, just quickly, my thoughts on the movie. I went into watching Jackie cold, so I didn't look up anything about her. I didn't even know who she really was as a person, besides just being John F. Kennedy's wife. And, um, yeah, I thought that the experience was daunting and empowering being that it is about someone who is a survivor 
and the like aftermath of Jackie witnessing her husband like dying right in front of her. And um, yeah, that is a very tragic and like I said, daunting experience to like watch. And yeah, at times felt very uncomfortable um, seeing her express to uh, a journalist uh, what it is that she's feeling or what it is that she wants or doesn't want to say. And um, yeah, I found myself researching Jackie Kennedy afterwards and it's really hard for me to like express how I feel exactly like about this movie because I don't know. I, I, I don't really see it as a biopic in some regards because the movie do, like does withhold information. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of filmmakers that set out to do documentaries or biopics or, you know, uh, these kind of historical nonfiction movies do withhold or like manipulate some info or some of the situations and we find out more about it later and yeah I don't know it kind of diminishes some part of the movie for me when I do find out like oh wow that's a lot there's a lot more going on than what it you know the film leads you to believe but um I mean, besides that, I know the movie was just about um, her tragedy or like America's tragedy, really. And yeah, I'm still kind of taken away by Natalie Portman's performance because I think that's like pretty much the like the driving force what makes this movie watchable. And um some of the music was good, and I thought the directing from Bob Lorraine was really, really good. And like what Patrick said, the side-by-side comparisons of like him reshooting some um, aspects of uh, some of the real footage and incorporating that into the movie. Like some parts were shot differently, and I thought that was a really nice touch, and it felt very authentic. And again, like Portman's performance and even her voice sounding very much like the real Jackie Kennedy was, um, yeah, it was surreal. And yeah, that's my take on it. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I definitely agree like with what you're saying, Richie, about her performance just being so immersive and... I also wanted to touch on what both you and Pat were saying about how, you know, in reintegrating uh, new footage with some of the older footage. Um, I think that truth is best seen at not, not directly, but rather at an angle similar to like that old myth of um, Jason uh, going to fight Medusa and has to look at her from the reflection of his shield. Um, because if you look at it directly in the face, then you become so... Dis- you you end up completely disassociating because the complete inherent truth of everything is just so much to behold. Like, it... it um, 
has a way of escaping or I guess uh, leaping over and constellating into something else that goes far beyond our mind's capabilities. And I think that it was really interesting to see the melding of uh, a fictional recreation of these events with actual found footage of the events that took place because I feel like it, like Jackie says it in, um, in the movie itself, she's talking with the priest and says, uh, you know, oftentimes we see, uh, characters in these books end up being more real than the people who are next to us. And that's, I don't know exactly how to, how else to put it into words, like to build on top of that. But I feel like by melding those two, we, are like it solves that problem of um not of uh i guess towing the line between showing um the complete unadulterated truth um compared to something that's complete fiction and just completely made up like it it tows the line between those two so well that it ends up creating its own sense of reality that feels more real than what we read in textbooks and um you know, reading like a, like an autobiography or a biography of someone, you know, um, seeing it play out on screen just adds this sense of dreamlike quality, but also a very uncanny sense of truth. And I have never, like, I can't remember the last time that I felt that way while watching a movie. And I think that this, that the direction of, uh, Pablo Lorraine and, Every single person who worked on this, like the like a, a set decorator, um, the cinematographer, editing, like everything just like fell into place to where it creates this very unique uh, snapshot of history, but also of capturing the human experience of what it's like to go through such traumatic grief and not only on a personal level, but on a national level and possibly even international level um, of which delves deeper into the collective unconscious at that point. And I think by centering in on one individual and then showcasing everything else with uh, how it affected not, uh, for instance, like the interviewer uh, who was interviewing Jackie in the movie, you could see just how deep those roots run and I don't know, I just I just am a really big fan of that balance. And I would be very curious to see and also uh, look into other movies that capture a similar feel to that. Because I, I feel like it's a very powerful way of depicting history um, rather than, you know, glorifying it or just making it so stale and sterile. Uh, this actually has like that truth element and the the pathos and catharsis that is so important when it comes to generating compassion and empathy amongst people because it's such I think it's like the closest thing to like a universal truth that we have is uh, not only like I, I guess just like feeling and sentiment you know yeah I like I, I think. I read an interview with Pablo Lorraine about the film because he did another biopic the same year. Yeah, I think it was a it was based on a Chile poet who won a I think Nobel laureate 
or a Nobel Prize for Literature or Poetry. But uh, he, I, I believe in the interview, he references how biopics are difficult because they can be dry or they can be, like we know how the JFK story ends. And I think he said he approached it and which is, he approached it in a way that it's about her grief, but it's like about her, it's about a poem, it's about a moment that's not meant for the, or it's not something that, it's not a data point exactly. It's something you have to delve into. And that's her grief. And then her, like the director himself creating the film about Jackie, in the film we see her meeting with the news reporter and she's the one structuring the legacy or the Camelot mythos that she wants to propagate for the Kennedys or for her husband and her family. That's why she references like Garfield and McKinley who were presidents who were assassinated, but like the chauffeur didn't know Garfield and McKinley, but she's like, yo, but you know, Lincoln. Yeah. He ended the civil war. He emancipation proclamation. He was assassinated too, but he did great things. And it's just her having the grip grip with Kennedy's short run as president, but still trying to create the mythos of a grand man like the director is doing for her in the film itself. It's an interesting set of layers to have to balance out when creating something that is so um, limited in uh, in the way that it's shown to a wide audience. And I don't know, hearing that makes me have even more appreciation of it too because everyone in the movie just steamrolls over Jackie. Even like some of her closest friends, they, in confidence, you know, um, they have such a way of making it about themselves, which I understand. But given the the angle at which we view the movie, which almost is entirely always centered on her. We can just see how each interaction just weighs on her from the last to the next. And it just makes me feel all the more empathy towards this, not only this individual, but towards everyone as a whole, because the thing that I really enjoyed most about Jackie's as as a character in this movie and from the portrait that was uh, made of her and of Kennedy and also Bobby and uh, every, well, a lot of the other people who were in that um, group um, it shows how much they appreciated history as a whole because not just for like pure enjoyment but because they understand or they understood the major amount of responsibility that goes in weaving that narrative, not only for themselves, but for future generations to come. There is so much. It, it's just unfathomable to even wrap my head around uh, how important of a, of a duty that is to uphold. Um, because truth can easily be swept under the rug by whoever is in power. I mean, if you look at like North Korea or even like all these other places where they're literally just wiping away history and creating their own, the narrative that they want. I think that that is such a crime 
because you're wiping out like you're it's almost like stomping on the graves of like all of those who came before us and i i personally believe that every single aspect of history should should be documented even even a lot more of the uglier sides of it because to not do that is it's just it just seems so wrong on a humanistic level because i i find so much value from the past and like it, there's one it's one thing to um hold on to the past and dwell on it constantly but it's another thing to use what you can from past experiences moving forward but also not letting it dictate the path that you take moving for moving onward you know um and i i don't know i just believe that the portrait of jackie that was shown in this it showed someone who was not only mindful of that but felt so convicted in their responsibility to commemorate the life of a of a renowned leader who could have like had such a profound influence on America as a whole and possibly even the world for the better. Um, I mean, that's, that of course is arguable and debatable, but that's at least the field that I got from it. Yeah. Kevin, like you were saying earlier too, about how it, um, like the film as a whole is kind of the first time you watched it, you said it was like an album that you kind of just like ran through and then you come back to it later on and it ends up being one of your favorites. I definitely got the same. I mean, this was my first time watching it, but I definitely got the same vibe from like the start. I'm not even going to lie. The first like 15, 20 minutes, I was like not into it at all with all the um, like the reenactment of the White House scenes. Mm-hmm. And during those scenes, um her like accent and like her demeanor is very uh like performative i guess is what i realized now like i was like getting annoyed of it but then like later on in the movie i realized that she's like natalie portman is doing a performance of a performance on that show and it's just crazy to uh i don't know i feel like she captured that really well and like just everything about it especially the score for me i'm like i was a huge fan of the of the music in this movie to where I feel like just with that same like haunting like feel, but it's like sounds so beautiful at the same time. And I feel like it just kept drawing me in and drawing me in. And by the end, end of the movie, the end of the album, like I just wanted to like go back and like replay certain tracks or certain scenes. Um, I guess I don't want to bring them up. We're not in spoiler territory yet, but like the certain scene, like with the priest her kids, the assassination scene, her reaction after the assassination. Like, I don't know. There, there's so many heavy moments. Yeah, even as you yeah, like... I agree. Oh, wait, what were you saying, Richie? No, I'm saying I, I agree with Tyler in that those scenes where she was um, being filmed in the White House... I definitely agree that it did come off as someone who is doing a performance of another performance or someone who's being performative. And I think 
feel like maybe that was intentional because Jackie does seem like she puts on different faces throughout the film. I'm not sure. Yeah. Like the parallel yeah. of her like doing the interview compared to like her the the scenes of her acting in the like the showing of the White House, you can totally tell that uh I don't know, yeah, it definitely felt intentional. Yeah. The uh, when she's telling the LBJ it's the attorney general replacing Bobby. I will walk with Jack. Like she's being very firm and more loud spoken compared to like yeah. her very soft spoken demure. She hits tour. him with the uh she's like, I'm just doing my job or whatever. Yeah, she turns like this little mm-hmm. jab. And yeah. I feel like yeah. that alone just like shows her her conviction towards that responsibility. Yeah, I think I think when she makes the the decision to I mean, it was a very difficult decision, and we'll get into more specifics about that later. Um, when people are telling her to do one thing and she decides to do another, it was really hard for me to tell whether or not she's very genuine or she's doing it for performative reasons. You know, um, for instance, like she wore the pink coat and. Um, I believe it was Lady Bird Johnson who tells her to get changed. And um, yeah, I, I believe Jackie wanted to wear the outfit because she wants the world to see like what they've done. You know, I, I, I don't I don't remember the exact lines, but yeah, it all came off as if I, I'm it's not sure if it's intentional. The truth, I think. Yeah. And yeah, right, to see the truth. And I don't know if she really means that or like if it was just to, you know, rile up the world. Um, I don't know if it's to like get, uh, what's the word? Like get a rise? Yeah, out of out of people. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I have very like conflicting yeah well i think also like everyone was just trying to tell her what to do yeah in that situation literally like what like hours after her husband just got murdered in front of her right and obviously she's angry and sad so i don't know yeah i think maybe she could have done it out of anger too and just like a screw you to everyone that trying to tell her what to do so she's like fuck it i'm just gonna go out there and exactly what i was wearing so people see it, the truth because they're everyone there is already like moving on basically you know that like they swore in Lyndon B. Johnson like earlier what you were saying too Pat when like he died and it just felt like the end of a uh, an era or like an end of uh, I can't remember exactly what you said but like an end of like progress I guess or something good potentially for the whole world feels like it literally as soon as he dies like that that it's already like that feeling is going away so quickly. Yeah, I feel and, like, and, um, oh wait, what were you saying, Richie? Um, yeah, and, and just to bounce off that real quickly is perhaps she is really needing to take on that path, like away from what everyone is saying. She wanted to create her own path to 
uh, I guess, express her grieving process because everyone grieves and everyone goes through trauma much differently than others. And yeah, I'm sure it's difficult for her and for everyone around her to really show that. And yeah, that's just a part of the process that was really daunting and and, and and uncomfortable to like watch because like, you know, who yeah, who who has the right to tell her what to do or what not to do, you know? Yeah, um uh Richie, I think you mentioned it earlier where um on the airplane there's that conversation of you know, she's making a conscious decision to uh, show show off the dress to the public, you know, with all the blood and, like, the aftermath of being right next to Kennedy after he was assassinated and saying, oh, I want them to see what they've done. I think that... I think that it's, it's not only performative, because it, it is a performance still... Um, I think that it is almost done out of duty. Like that was like her conscious decision to do that. Um, yes, it's a very ugly truth, but the truth is never a beautiful thing. And I think that to to wash it to wash it away and like put on something else and go before the public and not actually recognize and like fully take in the the weight of the situation. It would be such a crime to the truth to hide that away. Um, and it's like, that's the harsh reality. Her husband was murdered right next to her because of someone who didn't agree with his ideology or for some other personal reason. And it's like, this is what happens, you know, when you take like a very extreme stance against someone to where you resort to murdering them in cold blood. Um, this is what it looks like. Um, this is what people go through on like a day-to-day -day basis, even though it's not necessarily the same thing. There are countless murders and crimes that happen each and every single day. And Jackie also touches on this uh, with the reporter towards the beginning of the movie where um, she says that history can now be shown on display to the world through the power of television, because before then it would just always be written in history books. And I think that she has far more knowledge and understanding of technology at that point in time compared to everyone else that she was interacting with in this movie, because... You know, it, it it reminds me of the of the coverage of the Vietnam War. Um, I don't think I I don't think that um, that there is nearly as much coverage on the ongoings of the world at large compared to back during that time. Like I feel, and I want to clarify that by saying that. I don't think that it's necessarily as raw and unfiltered as it was, as it once was, if it ever was. Um, but I'm just going off of like the documentaries that I've seen from that time period um, and how, how grim it was because it was so 
it was so real and raw. And I'm sure that, you know, if anyone does enough digging now, like you could probably find any, all of this stuff, like through the likes of Twitter and social media and all of these things, you just have to look and it's there. But I feel like with the news media outlets, it's, you, you could tell that there's a narrative being like a very, with a very clear and direct agenda of uh, checking off all the, all the things that they want to talk about and like, I don't know. I feel like the duty to the truth has just gone. It's it's just nothing like what it could have been. And I like right now we're like in the age of disinformation of misinformation. And, you know, with all this access to technology on our hands, I feel like we don't have proper understanding of the responsibility that we have to take upon not only ourselves, but to everyone. Like when we share something like, for instance, an article on Facebook or uh, any form of like social media, like uh, where it's just clear misinformation, that's us breaching that duty that we have to truth on a personal level by reeling in everyone else who sees that. Um, especially with uh, all of the things going on with the pandemic right now, I, I so that's why I personally believe that it was right. It was it was virtuous and done for the betterment of civilization that Jackie actually chose to appear before the public in that dress with the aftermath of what happened with JFK. Because to to not do so, it's just sweeping the truth under the rug. I wanted to hop no. on that. I'm oh, sorry. And so oh, no, no, I just have a. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, sorry. What did you say? Say, Richie. So I got some. I was just gonna things. say quickly um, that I don't know if it was right or not. I, I can't. I I definitely don't believe that it was the right decision at the time, um, especially considering like a lot of information that the public was going to get at the time was through newspapers, radio, and television, and television was what still only around for like what, maybe 30 less than 40 years at the time and a lot of that was um for families to like get together and watch something or see what's on the news and for her to show off i don't know if it's showing off or like i said it seemed very performative but to show that to like families and children and stuff um, in contrast to her, like, what if she showed that to her daughter or son or, like, straight up told them exactly 100% what happened? If it was about, like, ex expressing the ugly truth, um, I don't know if she did it 100% authentically or not. I don't know, maybe, hopefully I don't sound disingenuous by saying that because... Uh, maybe I'm just looking at it like more of a, I think it came off more of a political or some kind of agenda behind it. And I think that's coming from me doing research after the movie and thinking or questioning and being skeptical of what is truth and what is like, what is really going on here? Like, what are the true intentions behind this? You know, um, yeah, just like how she was being skeptical or she was questioning the journalist who is 
writing a piece on on her experience and you know of him just wanting to know what what was the sound of the bullet you know what was it like being there um i'm not entirely sure if that is even right to like talk about yet right away or to even show the world yet but um especially when you have yeah at the time when you have families and kids that are that are there that are listening that are watching um yeah that's all i had to say about that i wanted to touch on the the point kevin was saying with the uh she was aware of the power of images and the other aspects because i believe kennedy was the first tv president like his image was constructed in the ways that modern politicians continue to do and like the great I think the Nixon debate with Kennedy was uh, people would, there's some like fun fact of like Americans who listened on the radio thought Nixon won in a landslide, but Americans who had watched on TV was like, Oh no, Kennedy mopped the floor with them. Cause like, I guess Kennedy was coached on his sitting stance. He had like a fresh haircut and Nixon was like tense and cross-legged to articulate his points. And he was making points. But like he just looked nervous and angsty and it was like the meta communication aspects of the image versus the radio, which was the norm at the time. So I like to believe, or at least I believe the director is leading us to believe that she's fully aware of the power of symbols and images in her time in this new rising medium and hyper like, uh, like bringing the cameras to the White House for the first time the looming threat of the Vietnam War and the proposed resolutions by the Kennedys, which would be undone by LBJ, and just these, all these, the images would resonate just like they do modernly. I think the director's trying to communicate that she's aware of that on some level, be it just the construct of his legacy or to the deeper conspiracy stuff that I like to think about this film with, of like, it's more reflective of everything we live now and there's certain scenes in the movie that reaffirm that there's certain dialogue options that reaffirm that stuff. And it's just a very powerful film to explore those themes. And I want to sit here and just go on and on. And it connects so vividly to modern day stuff like uh, the civil rights and Martin Luther King were kicking off under Kennedy and his brother, Bobby was like the, He's the one who motivated Kennedy to integrate the civil rights movement into his policy and campaigning as like something that they have to resolve as a, the president, the, the democratic leaders. And I think scholars even write about like post-colonialism and all the other stuff. This connects more to the conspiracy theories, but people argue that Kennedy was not a post-colonial person, but he was like not a, ghoulish neo-colonial politician like that's all we have nowadays and that's what i wanted to touch on with kevin's thing about the Viet- the rawness of the vietnam war in that early era is like a good case study of like them going through the rough patches to where now we aren't exposed to any of the suffering that is caused by our government's pursuits almost at all in the world. Like, uh, I think the Yemeni 
the Yemeni conflict, like, I don't know how much footage there is of that. There's like a strict, like, no talking going on, and that's an ally of ours. Uh, even recent news with the Afghanistan stuff, with the withdrawal. Uh, oh. The drone strike. You, you guys are aware of the drone strike that happened in retaliation to the bombing of the airport? Mm. No, I didn't hear about that. No. It was, uh, it's like you, you could see it in certain news outlets, but it's like uh, just a drone strike on suspected connections to that bombing. But it's like, oh no, it's just a family of nine killed, five to six kids killed. Yeah. But you just see that as a title and article. Like in the Vietnam War, there was more rawness, and they did, they did let that through with you seeing the active conflict or the caskets being loaded on the planes. But by the Gulf War and then even modern contemporary conflicts, there's like this construct of a they volunteer to go die and the media apparatuses work in tandem to not show the deaths of our what we perceive to be our people or even the deaths of their people so that we can maintain a arm's length away from them so we don't build sympathy yeah like one of the images that comes to mind it's it's infamous is of the child in the in a Vietnam village uh, running down the street covered in napalm, mm-hmm. and that just it it just makes my entire body shudder when I think of that image because there's just so much there's just so much history and so much ties that are linked to it, and like now if you like. I mean, of course, like I said, you can like dig up these images very easily with the uh, and video footage of um, all of the ongoings of the world today. Like especially with Afghanistan, like you mentioned, Pat. Like there was that video footage of um, people holding on to the plane, mm-hmm. uh, trying to just get out of the country, and there was no more room inside. And then you just see them plummeting to their deaths. And it's just so heartbreaking. And I feel like all of this stuff, it's just, it should be actively made available to people. And if they want to see it, that's the, that's the important thing. If they choose to see it, it should be made readily available to them. And, but it's also that it has to walk that line of, you know, being very um, in your face and like being plastered everywhere versus not being talked about at all. But, oh, it's there at the library if you want to go check it out. Like, like I feel like it should be a bit of both um, without the personal agenda of the media conglomerate, which is a very difficult thing to do. And I'm not even sure if it's possible. Um but at the same time, I just feel like there is knowledge should be made very accessible to the public, just like art, just like history, just like everything that makes us who we are and everything that allows us to live in an equal life with one another. Like, I feel like it should be readily available and accessible. Um, which is why, like, with the whole information and te- and technological age that we're living in, I like it just makes me think back to that huge responsibility that we have 
to understanding the power that these tools give us. Because when we choose not to cover the events of like uh, all of these massacres and all of these just tragic things that are ongoing in the world, like we are just allowing ourselves to become all the more ignorant. And it makes me think of Brave New World where we're just so distracted by all of these devices and um, tools to just free us from pain. Like it's a, it's a very Epicurean um, model that we're like delving into where if we can just like free ourselves from as much pain as we can, then we can live a good life, which to me, good is in quotations for that last bit. And I don't know. I feel like it's, it's a very, it's a huge disservice to everyone around the world when we choose not to engage with that stuff. And here I am like sitting in an office chair in like an urban environment where I don't have to worry about these things. And like, it's hard for me to even think about like what I can do, like, and my heart just like bleeds after that. And I'm not trying to make it about me, but I don't know. It's just so hard not to, when we're discussing it from a personal level, because I just wish that there was a way to actively like go out to a country without having to go through the hurdle bureaucracy and also um the wage slave system that we live in and and having just money to go and do these things and help others around the world it's just it feels like it's everything is just so entangled to prevent us from leaving it's it's a it's a web <laughs> it's a web that we're living in and it's like how do we free ourselves from it to where there is such a thing as freedom and um, which ties back into the death of the American dream, like which is what this movie has like a huge commentary on. Um, I don't know. It just gets me thinking to like what could be. And that's like where my idealism kicks in and I'm trying not to be naive about it. And that's what also Jackie talks about with JFK in it. It's like, you know, Jack was, always trying to like pursue these noble causes, but he also wasn't like naive about it when it came to like his own views on Camelot. And I feel like, like we'll get in and I feel like we'll get more into the whole Camelot uh, parallel later on, but it just gets me thinking about the whole notion of striving for something like that. Kevin, that, um, what you're saying kind of makes me uh like i feel the same as you and i feel like i get like real pessimistic you know like to where it's like oh i almost feel like there's nothing you know like like you were saying like i wish there was a way you could just go and help and like avoid all of like the uh i don't know like the rules and everything that each place in the world has and that makes me think of that quote when she's talking to the priest um, before JFK's funeral, like later in the film, and he has a quote where he's basically like, "There's like a time when man is comes like or is looking for meaning and realizes there's no answers, and like you come to a 
terrible realization and you accept it or I think she's talking about killing herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, or he's like, or you simply stop searching. And I feel like that is like, uh, super heartbreaking, but I feel like that quote, I don't know that, that, that also is very real. I feel like too. Yes. That, that goes hand in hand with the notion of absurdity. Um, and also, I mean, it's a very fine line between like absurdity, nihilism and existentialism and also stoicism and who knows how many other branches of philosophy, because it's like, once you get to that point, that is the tipping point of whether, of which branch of thinking you delve into afterwards, because like, I know that what I'm saying sounds very pessimistic, but I am ultimately not a pessimist at heart i still believe that if there is an ideal we should always be trying to strive for it as best as we can in this very imperfect world but um in the line of absurdity thinking or of the absurdist once you reach that cliff of realizing that there are no answers that you can either choose to embrace life in all of its absurdity of realizing that a lot of a lot of it is meaningless um and you could choose to f- to fill it with your own meaning and that's definitely more in line with the absurdist uh mode of thinking as opposed to the nihilist which you know let's say that you jump off that cliff at that point and choose to end it all that's when you become like an anti-natalist and um I mean, I'm sure that it could also be linked to nihilism too, but when you choose to not exist after reaching that conclusion, that is when you turn your back on life as a whole. Um, I know that that sounds very, like, self-explanatory, but that is such, like, a very bold and conscious decision to make in your own relation to the truth because the truth does not care about opinion, uh, discussions, uh, even one's own journey to arriving at a truth. If you can actually do that. Um, it makes me think of the whole idea of suicide as a whole, because, um, there was this one, Oh gosh, I'm forgetting the, the actual philosopher, but, um, the whole act of suicide, it, it it's always, I heard it from this one person that it's always done at the wrong time. Um, because once you're at your lowest point, you eventually get out of that rut. And then if you choose to kill yourself, then it's like, what's the point of even killing yourself if you haven't done it at the right moment? You know, at the lowest of the low. Because it's like, which um, I know I'm branching off a lot right now. Um but it gets me thinking back to what Nietzsche's thoughts were on suicide, which is that if there is even the slightest possibility of finding another moment of happiness in one's life after your lowest moment, you should always choose to embrace life. Because we are, there is one thing that we can be certain about, and that is that death is certain. Death is is there it's looming over us like at every second of the day and it's like do you choose to use that time wisely and not dwell 
on the existential crisis of death that is, you know, that is tied to your mortality? Or do you just like, I don't know. Like for me, I, I became like so depressed and found myself like delving into nihilism without even knowing the term back like in like the mid to 2010s and you know watching true detective the first season it got me exploring that whole area of philosophy and even in terms of like antinatalism where it's like oh well if you know consciousness is a misstep in evolution then shouldn't we all just die and you know walk it's like what rust cole says of uh walking hand in hand into oblivion um, but ultimately I, just for my own, um, journey on it, I have, I have walked away from that entire mode of thinking to where I just choose to fill my own life with meaning and substance because it's like a blank canvas. Like we paint whatever we want to on it and it's ours. And as long as it has meaning to us, that's all that matters. That uh, reminds me of this quote. Um, you only live once, false. You only, you only die once. You live every day. Wow. That's from That's the very office. powerful. <laughs> 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 I mean, but like, it, there is a bit of truth to it, though. <laughs> yeah, um, I think we should uh, give a ranking soon and jump into spoilers before we get a bit too long in the tooth. Um, but uh, before we transition to that, I just want to say very briefly that um, I think, uh, Patrick, you talked about the drone strikes that were happening in Afghanistan. And um, yeah, it does remind me of the chemicals that were dropped in Vietnam, the uh, Agent Orange. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't... I don't remember being taught about that in elementary or high school, but the chemicals that were spread in um, Vietnam that still has uh, residual effects even to this day, um, like millions of people were affected, like birth defects, cancer, disease. And um, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up briefly because we were talking about Vietnam. And yeah, like there's some things that like, that we have access to in terms of knowledge, but if we aren't being told these things, you know, how would we even find out in the first place all the, all the atrocities that were going on? And um, that makes me really sad and upset being that I am, you know, Vietnamese and that is where my family is from. Um, who knows, you know, how many more people were affected. Um, yeah, that is truly tragic. And uh, yeah, and we have these drone strikes that were going on, what, over almost two decades now? Um, yeah, millions and millions of more people being wiped out. Um, it's uh, truly saddening that, uh, yeah, and we were, I think we're really privileged that we can get here and not have to worry about that. Uh, yeah. So, with that being said, let's just give our ratings and then jump into spoilers.
Patrick, uh, would you like to go first? Sure. I'll go first. Uh, maybe it's because I'm on the big conspiracy kick currently. But I'm going to give this a 5 out of 5 for me. I love Pablo Lorraine's uh, style when it comes to biographies or biopics. And uh, with his background of the other film, I think Neruda or Nerda that came out the same year as Jackie about a communist poet hunted down by the authoritarian Chilean government propped up by the U.S. in the 50s or 60s. And then his coming film, uh, Spencer, about Princess Diana, uh, which is all the stuff about the... I feel like he's skirting up as much as you can to like the deep, the deep uh, contradictions of our modern life and American leadership or structuring of power. Uh, I do always want to regress. Like a, a, it's a net, we it's a post I've seen world. It's the Princess Diana biopic takes on another light with the Prince Philip accusations and the Kevin Spacey escaping the England to wait out his sentencing. So he's no longer legally allowed to be held accountable or he's just off scot-free and his deep connections to the British Royal family. So I'm just, I'm looking forward to seeing more conspiracy, but not overt conspiracy stuff hopefully from Pablo Lorraine and this film is just like a perfect epitome to me of that type of filmmaking where it feels like it's subverting the powers that control the media apparatus as much as he can. And I just have a deep admiration for that style and I dream to emulate it someday. Um, I'm going to give Jackie a, uh, Four and a half out of five. No, I'm gonna go five. No, no, we'll go four and a half out of five. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I watched this probably three three days ago now, and yeah, like I was saying earlier, like it just like kept growing on me, and I keep catching myself like thinking about it like every day. I even had like a dream, like like a crazy crazy dream that felt so real, like where like I lost someone close to me, and I felt like. I think that was the night after I watched Jackie. So I was like, it was really, it like really hit me hard, this movie. Um, Yeah, I just really enjoyed it. Even, I know I talked about the score. Like this is, uh, I think it was by Michael Levi or Michael Levy, I think is his name. Mm -hmm. I think he did Under the Skin too, is what they said, or what I saw, which I haven't seen either. Need to watch, but um yeah, I really enjoyed that, and uh, even the cinematography, I feel like, really captured the time the time period of the 60s and the set design, like the White House and even, like, Air Force One. Um, and Natalie, perform- or Natalie Portman's performance, too, I think was just amazing. And, yeah, I'm interested. I want to hear Pat just go off on the uh, conspiracy theory part. Like, even, like, I want to talk about, like, Lee Harvey Oswald and, like, some of the mafia stuff that possibly could have gone down. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. I was not expecting uh, 
it, I don't know, to hit me this hard, to really stick with me like this. I'm going to agree with you, Tyler. 4.5 out of 5. Um, when I first watched this movie, I gave it a 3. And a year later, it's just completely taken on a whole new life for me. And I'm really thankful that I got to give it another shot because it made me have like a newfound respect and admiration for for this type of filmmaking. Like Pat, you were saying like how uh, you appreciate how um, Lorraine's direction on this it does as much as it can to subvert um, the the narrative of pretty much like every single like news outlet and history as a whole. Like it's doing enough to unearth and like show the roots that go under that go beneath it, but not overtly to where it's dangling it in front of you and um, just being completely explicit. Um, to where it feels like, you know, there's a heavy hand with an agenda. Um, I think that just the, just everything about it, like the imagery alone, Stefan Fontaine, it creates such a unique, um, very off-putting journey. And, you know, it, was it like a week that was portrayed in the life of Jackie and um, one there, there's like a type of a in, in movies and like TV and any sort of like visual media I found that I've come to appreciate a much more centralized time period that is shown to us from the very beginning to the end um, this had me reminiscing on my own experience watching come and see uh showing how the universe is just relentless at times and like one event and you just literally have to keep going like we lead we lead such chronological lives you know in our own existence where we have to live one moment to the next like we can't skip around um and, you know, we don't, we experience time so linearly. And to just witness the, the rush nature of point, you know, like we were given a glimpse into Jackie's life uh, shortly before the assassination, the assassination, and then everything else afterwards. And it all just feels like a complete whirlwind of events in the span of just such a short period of time and you know if we like zoom out from time as a whole it's like such a blip it's not even a blip it's like it's a it's a, it's a fraction of a blip and it's just so mind-blowing how so many events like this can take place right one after the other and just be whisked away uh by surrounding influence and I, I completely agree that the sound the sound design on this and also the score was out of this world um, Michael Levy is an absolute it was an absolute 
just wonder to behold, like listening to this to the score, like melding with the images on screen and just feeling like it it was just so grounded. Um yeah, I I really enjoyed this movie. Um, so for me, I right right now I would give the film a a three point two five out of five. Um, the biggest parts or the biggest positives for me were um, obviously Natalie Portman's performance. Um, I guess upon thinking about it, uh, even though I, I do regard it as like one of her best, I think maybe Black Swan. Um, she nails even better because um, I think after discussing some moments in the film that felt very performative, I think that thinking back, it kind of came off more distracting than it is like um, enriching the uh, persona of Jackie Kennedy. Um, and I did like, I, we didn't mention him at all, but I did like uh, Peter Skarsgård as Bobby Kennedy and showing his side and how he was dealing with the grief of the loss of um, his brother. Um, but besides that, uh, I can really latch on to any other parts of the story. Although I did like the fragmented nature of like um, going back and forth between like the flashbacks and um to the aftermath and then during the uh, actual assassination um, i thought that was all done very well and, and very seamlessly and that's all due to the editing and um yeah i appreciate the the design felt very authentic to that time period um but i can't help but to feel like the section with the journalist and Jackie Kennedy didn't really feel like there was a huge payoff there. Um, but yeah, uh, that kind of sums up my thoughts on Jackie. So um, I rented this film on online on YouTube. There isn't really anything that you can watch it on right now, I think, uh, on like any sort of streaming service. Uh, like for if you're paying for a subscription, um, so yeah, it's available right now to rent. So yeah, let's jump into spoilers. I guess there's not yeah, that the, much to spoil because you can kind of just research this movie. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's they got assassinated. What? <laughs> what? What? What the fuck? <laughs> um, one of my favorite parts of the movie um, is like the parallel, basically the whole assassination scene, like the parallel of her. She's getting ready in the mirror, and I think she's like practicing speaking French, Spanish. I think Spanish. Oh, Spanish. Spanish, yeah, Spanish, yeah. yeah. 
I knew she, yeah. Um, and then, you know, we go through, like, the parade or, like, the, uh, yeah, through the crowd, and then he gets shot, and then just the parallel of her then back at that same mirror, like, just devastated, and she's wiping off her husband's blood on him, on her. And then, like, it keeps, I think it cuts back to just, like, it's kind of crazy to think, like, they actually, like, you know, they had to drive off, like, to the hospital, and she's just there, like, holding his head, like, with his brains blown out, which is just, like, that's so gnarly. Like, I, I don't even know how someone could ever, uh, you know, get through that. It's I think just she, unimaginable. I think in the, in the what is it? This is, I forget the name of the person who videographed it. But in the assassination footage... I think she like she also straight up climbs on like the back of the car. Yeah, and, like, grabs yeah. a piece of scalp or brain and then sits back down. And the Secret Service guy jumps on of like, "I'm here now." <laughs> but yeah, like, yeah, uh, which... yeah. I always thought the whole sequence is, in general was strange. I don't know about you guys, but like just watching back on that footage. Um, it's just really hard to like wrap your brain around like what is going on and like how everyone's reacting at the time like everything that is going on yeah it's very strange right like Tyler's saying like she literally has his head on her lap with like you can see the inside of his head and uh, just like her actions and just trying to pull out some of his brain matter and um, but I guess that is to be expected when when you when anyone goes through a hyper violent situation, like you don't really know how you're going to react or how your body is going to, yeah, like express that traumatic experience. It's just you're just kind of like frozen in time almost because of those things. They didn't even show the fourth bullet. No. <laughs> there was a fourth bullet? I thought there was... I know he was hit twice, right? Yes. Yeah, but there's... I think there's four shots. It's not a, yeah, it's not a... It's the three. I know one hit the cement. The yeah. Road. It's like one shot was way off. That's where people argue of, like, how's he... It's, it's part of the, all the conspiracy arguments was like, like for like th either he got three off or there's like four, but like the issues come up. Like if there was four, like a, it's like almost impossible on a rifle like that. Cause it's like a bolt action one where you have to pull back the bullet to discharge yeah. it. They're like, Oh, it's impossible for anyone to be that accurate and get four off. So there has to have been two people or they say like, no, it was actually just three bullets and he landed two and then one of them hit the road, and then that's another thing of, like, he was very lethal for two of the shots, but then one of them was, like, a mile off, which then other people point to that in definitive signs of there was a second shooter. Like, this one was a better aim. Yeah, definitely, I feel like there's a second shooter. Oh, I no, it's... the conspiracy. <laughs> no, they killed him. They killed yeah. him. 
that he killed his ass. A Cuban. Oswald was a Marine. He was in Monterey, which is an intelligence thing. He was stationed in Japan before he defected to the Soviet Union. And then he was returned this, by the Soviet this Union. The spoiler section is our conspiracy section. I, I did want to do that. He, <laughs> yeah. Pablo Lorraine, he frames, there's the, that's where I feel like he has to be acknowledging it. Yeah, especially with the interview of uh, Oswald that he chose to incorporate. Yeah, yeah. Him just he just gets shot. I yeah, don't, when he's like just talking about like, oh, I don't. Uh, yeah, he's like, what? He's like, this is like the first I'm hearing of it. Where's like, was like, Yeah. Because he's like yeah, hoping uh, he can be bailed out by his contacts. Mm-hmm. Which they uh, delve more into like what happened to Jack Ruby. I mean, I guess they did mention that he died in jail or something didn't die in jail or he went like they he was like cleared as insane or something no yeah Um, i want to say he had like a just a terminal cancer when they took him to prison yeah it was pulmonary yeah he died within a year i want to say and then uh yeah and then other people start dropping yeah well the us the the scene of uh the casket inside the white house like i feel like it's intentional like when a jfk jr wanders away from bobby and jackie and his sister and then bobby's the one that goes over there and it's framed where it's framed where the boy goes behind the casket and the camera's like on the casket and then it pans or glides up with bobby picking up jfk jr and the singular shot is of like Kennedy's casket, Bobby, who's assassinated, and JFK Jr., whose plane mysteriously exploded when he was a successful politician or senator or governor, making a run for, clearly setting up his future run for president. I felt like he was framing the three assassinated Kennedys, the three most important ones, like clearly on frame. Yeah, I didn't even notice that, but... Yeah, I would say that was purposeful. That scene was just so heavy. Like, that was one of the scenes that made me cry, for sure. Mm-hmm. I love the funeral procession. And that's another one where the camera glides up on JFK Jr. in the back of an armored car. Harder. <laughs> it's all there to be read. This is one of those things where I'm doing the room... Was it 237? Have you guys yeah. seen that documentary? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm doing that. It was, like, this is definitive proof of this. It was more so entertaining than anything. I don't think it had that much substance. <laughs> Pat, I'm, I'm really interested to hear the uh, research that you've looked into. Because um, I don't know a whole lot about the JFK assassination. Um, yeah. The f- probably... Oh, sorry. Probably. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry. Yeah. Probably. Well, I'm just like, so eager because I do want to share. Oh, okay. yeah. The the first exposure that I ever had to it growing was uh, listening to "Bullet" by the Misfits, where it like goes full on into like Texas is the reason why Kennedy's dead, and it like that's when I like first like started looking into oh like oh well what does that mean oh the, it's commonly or one of the theories is that Texas conservatives wanted to assassinate him to get LBJ in line for presidency. Um, but anyways, um, 
I am very curious about what you've been looking into. I'm trying to, how do I structure this? I don't want to go full magic bullet. I just want to touch upon my you big takeaway with the magic bullet. <laughs> well, I'm going to go my own way of magic bullet. The pet magic bullet. <laughs> but my takeaway is for this film in 2016, as well as just the, the current American media sphere, as well as political sphere and power sphere is so like we, you, it's so hard to articulate this, but it's just so already gone. I think is the word. That's what is a fascination with Kennedy for me, at least. Even though he wasn't a great man, he didn't do much as a president. But there's like the concept of the promise that was snuffed out, as well as the uh, the revealed like in post, like even '90s and 2000s. Like it's a lot of information's been revealed. Not about like there's no like definitive proof of like oh here's how they killed Kennedy, but it's always like like with the uh, the Pentagon Papers and the Panama Papers and the Snowden mm-hmm. Papers, where like the intelligence agencies are spying on Merkel, uh, the British Prime Ministers, the own presidents, these people, these people, these considered allies, or people who are simple to us to have power, and they're a part of the system, but they're subject to the system itself. And then in the Latin America and in the Middle East, in this post-World War II era, Cold War era, there was just a rampant string of assassinations. Oh, there was some crazy operation in Eastern Europe or just Europe of like to dissuade people from joining socialist or communist parties as a part of the Cold War. There was like covert, like just gun violence and assassinations carried out by police officers or undercover agents of intelligence agencies to then report in the press that, like, uh, left-leaning socialist terrorists shot up a supermarket without stealing anything. But, like, there's no... No one's arrested. There's no evidence found. It's just, like, the the casings are picked up. Or it's like, no, this is, like, a professional job. And this is all orchestrated by the CIA-type stuff. And it's just so disheartening. And then the Oswald Kennedy stuff, like again, Oswald stationed in Japan. He was sent to the Soviet Union as a false defector. And then he was returned by the Soviet Union when it was clear to them that he served no purpose. So he was getting like a shitty job at a toy factory and a wife as like a reward for his defectiveness. And they like just stopped paying his bills and then they sent him back as a part of an exchange program. And then he goes to Florida and he works in an office and he goes around talking about how he's a pro-Castro socialist but he's working out of an office of a former CIA agent that wouldn't be revealed into the 80s. And that's <laughs> that former CIA agent's office he's working out of is a uh, shares a mistress, I think, with the oil tycoon who had an unsuccessful career who owns the book depository building that Oswald would be located in when he fired the bullets at Kennedy. And that oil tycoon, a year after Kennedy's death, would be awarded a rich military contract or oil 
grant or I forget what it is, but like a military grade. Like a contract? Contract, exactly. This relatively unsuccessful oil man is suddenly given like a top contract from a military resource or source resources job. And he's suddenly a multi-billionaire back then even when money had less or more value. Just like the, there's a lot of stuff where the cards align and then going to the modern stuff. I know I'm preaching and even the, just the Epstein Q Anon. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. But like John Oliver or the Daily Show guy and mass media going on and like asking Hillary Clinton, like, oh, how'd you kill Epstein as a joke? And John Oliver equating like the crazy Q Anon stuff with like Epstein stuff, which is clearly something that happened. And equating that to the Kennedy assassination, I'm like, oh, that's equally crazy as like believing in UFOs or abducting hillbillies. Where it's like, it feels so defeating to see the narratives being sh- the narratives being structured. And I feel like this film is like a great thing of that, where we see Jackie structuring a narrative, a mythos, and the director is structuring like he's he's hinting at what it feels like to me is like he was the assassin Kennedys in a frame. Here's a poignant shot of JFK Jr. Here's a great bit of Bobby telling LBJ to sit down after the Oswald assassination. And LBJ gets like indignant because he's the president. He's saying like, like, who are you telling to sit down? And Bobby just retorts it. like, sit down. <laughs> Jackie's coming downstairs the assassin of her husband has just been assassinated. We don't know what the hell's happening. We don't know if we're going to get bombed tomorrow or if she's going to get shot in a month when she's leaving with the kids or a week. Turn off the TV and sit down. It's like just the weird power dynamics of the political sphere. I feel like he's touching on that. Yeah. All the crazy stuff. I just have a I, deep appreciation for the film because I can jump I, to those things. I really enjoyed that scene. It was like such a, a a grounding moment where it's like, okay, like, can you just not be stuck up in this bureaucratic atmosphere that is just constantly looming over us? Like, can you just like be a human and recognize that this person's partner was literally, I don't know. It's like, just actually have some sort of mindfulness and not be stuck up. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, there's other crazier coincidences of, uh, like the wanted posters, like wanted dead or alive of Kennedy. We're all over the town. Ah, there's a film, I forget now, but they talked about it. But there's a great film that released that year about a deep state coup of the American government that like Kennedy had an interest in through Hollywood connections. And I think they got to use like the front of the white house for a scene, which hadn't been done. I don't think like the actual place, like normally sets, but they reached out to Kennedy. He's like, Oh yeah, I love this. You guys come out here and make that. And then 
the story of that film parallels to his assassination and the conspiracies around it. Even Nixon and the fucking the great, the infamous Watergate tape uh, when Nixon's admitting to bugging the uh, Watergate hotel. Mm-hmm. He's a part of that tape that isn't often, it, it's on record, but a part of that tape is him talking not to, I think to Ford or someone, I forget who even. But he's saying, like, what's up with this Watergate business? Like, what the hell's going on? Who's playing bugs? Or, like, who's getting caught? <laughs> this is... And I'm worried if, I'm worried people are getting caught and it's going to bring up the whole Bay of Pigs thing. And it's like the whole thing of... What's the Bay of Pigs thing? Kennedy famously signed on to the Bay of Pigs operation. I think it was a... I forget the head of the CIA was like Dulles. And uh, it was an immense failure. And people argue that it was an almost intentional failure to justify a ground invasion by military generals. They're like, oh, we failed assassinating Castro and rallying the people to get behind the new American government that we're going to establish there. So we just got to send troops in. And Kennedy was like, that's fucking stupid. You guys told me we could kill him and be done with it. And that's what I signed on for. And no, we're not invading him. We're not occupying a nuclearly armed Cuba. And then uh, Dulles was fired from the head of the CIA. And he didn't resume work. And I think in personal memos to Bobby Kennedy, who was attorney general, he instructs, uh, he instructs Bobby to like remove every Dulles from like the intelligence agencies, which results in his cousin, who's like a secretary in the FBI office on the East Coast, like not a big job or anything. Like even she's fired. Like promptly after Dulles being fired from the failure of the Bay of Pigs. And then Dulles is on the Warren Commission. And then people argue that the Warren Commission was constructed with the end result predetermined of like no matter what happens Oswald was the lone gun and you can logically bribe people or threaten not threaten people but like you can imply that like if it's found out to be a Soviet orchestration or another conspiracy if it's found to be a conspiracy that can potentially lead to a nuclear nuclear Armageddon with like strikes and retaliation strikes because it's like an unprecedented assassination of a president that's why it's like a weird I don't know that's why it's like a weird the Kennedy assassination is so weird and it relies on the lone gunman theory because it felt like it had to to prevent possible nuclear Armageddon because like the Lincoln assassination was like confederate loyalists and there was like 20 would-be assassins and like famously one of the one of the conspirators with uh, Booth attacked like a Union general who had like a wounded arm, the splint, and he blocked the stab to his chest with that splint, and then like people came over and beat up on him. <laughs> or Franz Ferdinand, the Archduke, he was a part of like I think Slavic revolutionaries in Austria. My history is a little rusty. But the assassination that led to World War One, 
was carried out by a conspiracy of multiple actors. Mm-hmm. And I can, I'm talking for a long time. <laughs> it clearly wasn't Oswald. Uh, Ruby went to Havana, part of the mob connections in Havana before the Castro exodus. And uh, he was promptly, yeah. It's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely it was, feels, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> it was deep state stuff. Like the Fort Bragg, have you heard about the Fort Bragg killings? I think I talked to maybe one of you guys about that. Mm, but like this, uh, I don't think so. There's a great no, article. But there's a military base in the U.S. that had more servicemen killed than troops lost, lost in Afghanistan. And I think this is like during 2019 or 2020. And one of them includes like the beheading of a Delta Force soldier. And just his body's found, no head. And they're all located within a certain base that handles specifically special forces operations and soldiers. And like, it's it's like on record, kind of like there's one case where uh, a special forces guy like killed the special forces friend in front of his two, th- both their daughters. Like, yeah, he just like got a gun and shot him over a dispute domestically. And then, uh, he called the cops on himself and they had him come pick him up. And like within six hours that night, like four Humvees roll up from the base of like armed special forces guys. And they're just like, yeah, we're here to take him out of here. We have orders from blank that you're supposed to release him. And they're like, okay, I guess we gotta release him. And he like, he was never read his rights. He was just like, the only paperwork that exists of that situation is like the death certificate of that soldier who was clearly killed on us soil and the arrest report filed by the police officers who just showed up and said, like, oh, we're arresting the guy. He called the cops on himself. He says he's killed his friend. There's a dead body here with a bullet wound. And let's take him in. That's it. It's like, it's not impossible to believe there's agencies and aspects of our own government that carry out clandestine stuff on American soil because they do it on foreign soil, they assassinate leaders on foreign countries. And uh, it's completely believable that they do it here in the case of Kennedy. Yeah, I think to not at least uh, believe that there's some truth to that is would be considered naive. Um, I mean, just especially like look throughout, not only like, U.S. history and, like, our own interventionalism, uh, but across, like, history as a whole, like, <laughs> like, there's, like, there's countless cases of assassinations and also ulterior motives and hidden agendas that have just been, like, it, it's just so infused in history as a whole. Yeah, also, like, with World War II, how, like, successful the economy was, and I don't know, like, how war-obsessed the country was at the time. And JFK, I'm pretty sure, was, like, pulling troops out of Vietnam, or was, again, Vietnam, obviously, for sure. Um, um, so, 
I just lost my train of thought. Sorry, Abby came in here <laughs> as I was talking. Uh, but yeah, like, I, yeah, I think they just like the country also just wanted to go to war and go to Vietnam and I don't know, have that successful economy and just stay war obsessed. No, there, there's definitely some veracity to that because it's like. <laughs> It's a legitimate thing that the country always better during times of war, economically speaking. Um, it causes countless businesses to boom and production to line up and spending to increase and all these other things, which is why, like, with the latest occurrence with, like, Afghanistan, like, it's so... it's We're living through a very pivotal moment in history where, you know, Biden actually chose to withdraw troops like he he was the one that chose to withdraw them out of that country to where we are no longer in the prolonged state of war um and it's like it's all just repeating itself which it's it's like such a cliche but there's you know every cliche like there has like a lot of truth to him um and it's just really strange to be a part of that you know watching it unfold in front of our own eyes like something so similar uh, to what happened, you know, back, you know, in the events depicted in this movie. Um, it's strange how war-obsessed the United States is. It's very strange and disturbing. And not only just our own country, I mean, who are, like, just obsessed, if not more, with the idea of, um, you know, creating, splitting, or creating divides amongst people. Mm-hmm. But um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about um, the parallel to Camelot. Um, I think that I I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And I know that um, historically speaking, like that was known as like the Camelot period uh, during his short run or as a president. And that entire cabinet really... um, and I found a great deal of significance from the discussion on that with uh, between Jackie and the priest during some of the later scenes in that movie. Um, and Jackie was like uh, poking fun at JFK a little bit, saying like how she how she thought it was funny how the final song of that musical was uh, JFK's favorite, and how he would always like sing that and. She equated it or uh, back to when he was a child, like reading history books and reading uh, Camelot and like King Arthur, Knights of the Round Table. Um, and you could see like how that ideology was adopted uh, by him to some degree to the point where once he came to be in this massively, uh, in this massive, uh, role in the U.S. government that he would try to usher in something similar to that to the best at which he could. Um, Because anyone who's like looked into like King Arthur stories or anything and the whole premise of Camelot, uh, it's it doesn't take long to see that these were flawed individuals 
who were not only ordinary, and that's not like a burn or anything, uh, they, they were just ordinary people doing the best that they could to create like a sense of unity and peace and tranquility across a large span of land. And I just, I just think that uh, there's something virtuous to be found in that. And um, something, I don't know, I, I find a lot of benevolence in that idea um, and kindness as well. Uh, trying to do all that we actually can to diminish um, the malevolence in the world um, and indifference and complicity and evil. Um, because it's like when, when you choose not to do anything and when you choose to, uh, you know, when given the chance to, uh, carry on truth and, you know, do the best that we can to uphold responsibility of ourselves and society and making sure that we remain vigilant at all times, um, when we choose to let things go without actually recognizing them and doing something about it, we become just as complicit in that evil, in that act of evil. Um, and morality is such like a strange, fluid concept. It's constantly changing because it has to constantly adopt to the new methods of evil. Um, and Or not even new methods, it's just the, the mundanity of it all. Because... I feel like it never really changes its ways. It's just always present. It's like dust because it's like no matter how much you you sweep and you know wipe down your living space from dust, it always returns, and you have to constantly be vigilant against that. Um, otherwise, it's just always going to build on top of itself. And I feel like evil acts in that same way. It's not like some major. Um, like evil genius coming up with like a plot to uh, enslave humanity. It's like, no, it's just people failing to be vigilant and to actually do something about it. And I, I believe that that's what the important and relevance of Camelot is to actually be on the lookout for uh, that mundanity. Like um, one of my favorite books, The Berry Giant, uh, by Kazuo Ishiguro, um, talks of uh, Gerwin, who was tasked by Arthur to go out and search the lands for evil, and just uh, and also just helping people in need. And here he is in his old age, you know, uh, towards the end of his life, still doing what was what was uh, told. I mean, what Arthur had told him to do. Um, and I don't know, I find a lot of, uh, I find a lot of, um, worth and significance in that whole ideology of just remaining constantly vigilant, but not complacent, uh, when it comes to acting out against that and just helping others in need. Yeah, I agree with that. I feel like that goes back again to like what you and Pat were saying earlier about just like the feeling 
that the country and the world had with JFK and like you know actually cared and had compassion for people and I don't know these days it, with politicians and politics it just seems like a lot of times like especially with things going on like Texas wherever everywhere uh, that for the most part don't really care like I kind of got into an argument with somebody about it and I was like yeah, like, I just, I don't know, I feel like I have, like, no faith in, uh, like, our current political uh, system or, like, leaders when it comes to, like, caring for the people, really. Mm-hmm. But I'm also, like, what we were talking earlier, to, like, I get, like, pessimistic really bad, but then I also have, like, a overarching optimism that or be optimistic that like hopefully things can get can improve I cope by being vindictive to, <laughs> 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 to like the instruments of uh, control that you're able to see operating like the sh- when you see the formation of media to reaffirm certain standards and values and to be accepting of this stuff. It's a clearly... Yeah. My hatred of that stuff keeps me going. So it's very pessimistic. <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't I mean, think... Yeah. Wait, what, what were you going to say, Richie? I feel like that's why the superhero craze is so big right now because that's where people like to escape. They like to feel like they are beyond ordinary and uh, they have the po- like the means and the powers to change the world you know mm-hmm. um, and our politicians have the means and the powers to change the world or billionaires rich people the 1% have the powers to change the world but really uh, they come off as disingenuous and villainous because not much is being done you know we're still the bottom feeders we are um continuously um falling while the rest of them are on the rise and yeah the avengers are cia (laughs) (laughs) they're literally was it shield yeah they're literally like a letter intelligence agency with superheroes Accountability. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it may not seem like it's just comic book movies, but like that's it, they're normalizing it and stuff like that. Like that's the real slippery slope. Just like yeah. retention. Like they're they're using the shield of diversity and acceptance to like justify glamorizing a caste system in like few in, in the English nobility. I have fun at least like pointing at that and going like, oh, that's bullshit. That sucks. You make me want to watch the show to see if it's actually what you say it is. Because, yeah, I hadn't really heard about that until you brought it up. So um, I am curious. And a lot of people seem to like that show. So we will see. (laughs) I think the whole reason the pod exists is because people like a lot of stuff. That they need to see other stuff, I believe. Mm-hmm. 
Like, it's all just a jumping-off point. Yeah, and... Well, I mean... I guess, to be fair, if you look at the Avengers... There really, really isn't much diversity there, anyway. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I mean, that's one of the huge, like, concerns, I guess, going forward in this new phase of, like... I guess we're talking about superhero movies now somewhat in diversity, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Shang-Chi just came out, and I'm excited to see that, but, um, I don't know, I'm kind of, like, exhausted by it, because some of it does feel not genuine, and it's just for the sake of diversity, but at the same time, like, it's very important to see that, like, I had never seen such a big, huge mainstream diverse like super hero film about like Asian Americans <laughs> you know so I guess there's that there's something I can root for yeah I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty burnt out off the superhero stuff for the most oh. part I still consume some of it though for sure I I'm think it's the... easy to. Think it's oh, you're easy. saying that? I was zapped. I'm I'm all for like diverse films and casts. Like I want hard boiled three or something, four or five. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know Shang Shang Chi, Shang Chi, Shang Chi. I, I I was never I never read those comics, and with the comic book burnout, I see like oh, it's, it's good for representation and all the. Those other aspects. Like, I'd go see a hard-boiled two, three, four. I'd go see another John Woo movie. Or equivalent. Yeah, except except most people aren't going to see it. Hard-boiled. It's definitely not a box office hit, you know? True. And the reason why um, this genre is so um, popular is because... Well, um, most people don't read the comics, and but they like superhero stuff. And it's easy to capitalize on that genre by incorporating, you know, uh, like diversity or like certain themes about like social justice and whatnot. And, um, yeah, a lot of it can be a turnoff to some people, but uh, some of us need that because we didn't really have that growing up. Uh, I'm saying we need it, but I don't want it to be. I don't want the the money making end line to be the motivating factor, and then they integrate the other stuff. I want to see those films come out of those communities or those things without the pure market incentive of like we want an Asian American action film, but we gotta we gotta attach the Marvel brand to this instead of just letting someone explore that world and those themes and those different perspectives that's where i get just pessimistic but it's a personal hang up about the whole current system mm-hmm. but i do hear what you're saying i want to say i do fully agree with that yeah i i uh, i just think it is difficult um because the moment that we do try to do something original and bring it out there no one's gonna see it and then when if no one's gonna see it you're gonna be like oh see you know that formula uh, doesn't work so we're just going to go back to doing the normal thing. 
Um, it, it's just that most of the time there aren't enough second, third, or fourth tries. You know, the moment that like diversity fails, it's like, all right, let's go back to the old formula because that's what works. That's the old tradition works. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. We had a Black Panther, and that was, I was great, right? But then, like, how many spinoffs or how many sequels do we get? How many more movies of diversity do we get after that? You know, like, not, not, none. <laughs> we haven't heard anything since. Um, yeah. It, it's a, it's a pattern, you know. It, it goes beyond superhero movies, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, we had. What's that one movie like Aloha or uh, that other one, uh, a Pixar movie? Moana. With, uh, Wait, is that, is that one? one? Moana. Moana. Yeah, yeah, there's that one, and there's the uh, one with uh, uh, Ga- Gail Gabriel or Gail Gar. Uh, fuck, I forgot his name. <laughs> uh, he's in a two Mama Tambien. He's oh, in that uh, other... Gail Gabriel or Gail Garcia Bernal. Yeah, yeah, he was in Coco, and that and Coco I really enjoyed a lot. And it's a movie that um, appreciates diversity and culture and stuff. That movie made a lot of money. Yet we didn't get anything else after that. We didn't get any other movies that encouraged that. You know, it's like we only get those every once in a while, and. Um, yeah, it's not exactly encouraging for me uh, to see that because uh, we keep seeing the same formula done over and over again, the same stories being told. But when the movies that do make a ton of money that are trying something different, trying to tell it from a different perspective, uh, when we do get those movies, like we don't get any green light for other stories. It's just like, hey, look, that works. There you go. Mission, like, you know, problem solved. You got your movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Just not sure where to go from there when we've seen the uh, evidence. But Hey, we got the Fast franchise. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> That's as diverse as it's going to get. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, uh, with that being said, do we have any closing thoughts? Um, wants to introduce our little game, but we can probably do that for next episode. Sure. Uh, I was going to say, if you want, we could wrap it up, and then I'll edit it into the start, because there's a pause before we start the film discussion. Like, if we just do it after the we do our, like, our fake ending... I like where we mm. say goodbye and then we just go right into it. We, I could probably edit that into okay. the start. Uh, it's up to Tyler. And Tyler yeah, can... I know you work soon. So oh, I don't want to like, yeah. you know, because yeah, it's getting really long in the tweet. So like, I don't, I don't want to like incorporate a game uh, and then like kind of force it. And then like, I just got to be done by like in the next like 30 minutes, 25 minutes. Okay. Um, it's up to you guys. My bad though. I did start us off like, Kind of messed oh, up. Oh no, it's not. On oh no, no, I got, no, all, no, I got all nervous. Not. I got all nervous for a second. That did not take away that much time whatsoever. So you are completely good. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I mean, like, because okay. I usually we start off with the, uh, uh, like, what we've been watching and everything. I kind of just went straight into the film. Oh, no, it's all I good. We're just going with the flow. I'll talk about uh, Ted Lasso and Spawn next time. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've been on Ted Lasso. But, yeah, oh, I mean, shit. I'm down for that. But, uh, oh, nice. yeah, I'd probably just have to cut out by three. Okay. I think we should probably but cut it earlier. That way you can have more time. Do whatever sure. you gotta do. Well, uh, yeah, let's uh, wrap it up then. Oops. So yeah, um, that's our thank you for joining us on our discussion of Pablo Lorraine's Jackie. Um, yeah, that was a that was such a interesting and fun discussion to have very much enjoyed that having that discussion after watching a a movie about sorrow and uh, grief and yeah and surviving a, a tragedy I'm sorry I talked for so long <laughs> during the spoilers <laughs> it's, it's alright <laughs> okay. you were going off <laughs> You're you're very passionate about what you are looking into. So that is know, there's that. That is what we are here for. <laughs> it's therapeutic. Thank you guys. <laughs> yeah, Pat, thanks for picking this. Yeah, very good choice. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I was surprised when you picked it. I was like, dang, Pat's picking like a like a Hollywood movie? Like this was like at the Oscars a few years ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and sneaky. Uh, Natalie Portman lost to uh, Emma Stone. For all of us. Yes. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't yeah. seen uh, La La Land yet, so I can't. I, can't I definitely think Natalie Portman should have won. But I actually really enjoyed that movie. Hmm. I have um, not seen it, but. I heard good things. But yeah, that's uh, like what we were talking about earlier too, about, uh, I don't know, diversity and all that. That's also, even if the system keeps getting worse and worse, that's why we got the pod to put people on. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I like that sentiment. Um, because we do. Some listeners keep listening. Yeah. We do pick, you know, varied movies from all around the world, and I like that they're all different, you know, and we we get to pick films that generate such uh, interesting and intriguing discussion and perspectives. I hope that we keep it up. (laughs) I think that um, for the next episode, I since it's going to be my turn... I kind of want to have a guest on and have them pick the movie. So we'll be reaching out and into the pool of people who uh, are interested in being on the show. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Ooh, that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, Seeing that we had a guest, uh, what, two episodes ago? That was really fun. I'm excited for uh, our upcoming episode of a guest. Uh, so yeah, how, I guess we can decide with uh, 
uh, imagined um, straws that we pull from. See mm-hmm. who gets the longest, the longest straw. See, uh, the so fresh blood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll be fun. Okay, yeah. Um, so yeah, next week or or next episode, we will have a guest. So that's exciting. So um, yeah, thank you to our listeners again for tuning in. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Layfilm Podcast. Email us at layfilmpodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, I'm one of your co-hosts, Richie, and again, my co-host, uh, Tyler, Doctor Stakes can't do an intro, Cunningham, <laughs> <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> And uh, Patrick. And we are Late Film, and thank you again for listening. We'll see you again next time. Each evening from December to December, before you drift to sleep upon your cot, think back on all the tales that you remember. Camelot. Ask every person if he's heard the story, and tell it strong and clear if he has not. That once there was a fleeting wisp of glory called Camelot. 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 Once it never rained till after sundown. By 8 a.m. the morning fog had flown. Don't let it be forgot that once there was a spot for one brief shining moment.